Glory to God. It's a tough decision to have as a pastor when your granddaughter falls asleep on you. And it's time for you to give her up. I wasn't sure which way I was going. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. Never gets old. Loved it when our kids were little. Now we get to look forward to it as grandparents too. We're going to be over in the book of Exodus chapter 24. If you're up on Facebook at all, you saw a little bit of a teaser as to what was going on here. But some of the things that had gone on over in Ferguson, Missouri... I don't know about you, but there's different times during the days that you have that you uh, talk with God or you meditate on things with God. And, and um, you know, when I'm usually out running is a, is a good time for that. It's been uh, colder, wetter, stuff like that. So I have to put this hat on. And when I put the hat on, it messes with my headphones and I can't hear. So I was actually going for a couple of miles. I couldn't hear a thing that was going on. I had to actually go back and replay it later on because there's no adjustments you can make out there on the road. So I was just meditating on some stuff, and I was thinking about all this stuff going on in Ferguson, and this kind of came up in my spirit and hit me. It said the same thing that goes on in Ferguson, and it's been going on in the church. That's why people are not living in victory. So I decided to take that out and meditate on that for a little while and begin to think about that. And Well, what's going on with that? What's the comparison? So uh, we got a story we're going to look at. That kind of is, is one of the closest things I can come to that compares to what was going on in Ferguson. That doesn't have all the different makings of it, but it, it certainly has some of them. But we're going to start before we get into there in Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. We're going to, in particular, we're going to be looking at the story that happened that brought the children of Israel to make golden calves. We've looked at that before, but we're going to look at it for a different purpose. And depending upon what purpose you look at a story, you can understand different truths that are being taught there. And so we're going to look at the, it for this one. But uh, in Exodus chapter 20, how many know when they made the golden calves, they made a graven image to God? What did Moses bring down from the mountain? The commandments written on stone, right? Would God hold people accountable for laws they didn't know? What was one of the Ten Commandments? You shall not have any graven image before me. That was on the tablets that he was bringing down from the mountain. What happened when he came down from the mountain? He smashed those tablets. What did he smash? The tablets with the Ten Commandments. They were eventually remade and they were put into the Ark of the Covenant. Is it right that God would hold them accountable to not make a graven image before him when he hadn't given them the commandment yet? Now, I know no one here wants to say God did anything wrong. <laughs> God did not do anything wrong. If you turn over to Exodus chapter 20, you don't have to do it now, but you can do this later on. In Exodus chapter 20 are the Ten Commandments. Moses had actually gone up in the mountain first, gotten quite a bit of the law, came on back down, told it to all the people, and then went back up on the mountain. And then he comes back down in Exodus 32. In Exodus chapter 20, after that first trip, he comes down and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And he says, you're not going to have any graven image before God. In Exodus chapter 24, this is after he's gone up the first time. He's given them some of the, the law that was there. In verse 1, now he says to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and, the 70, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. All the words of the Lord... And all the judgments. He told them. 
Told them to who? Told them to the leaders, told them to the people. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So all the people heard the words. All the people answered with one voice. All the people answered with one voice. All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. That's in Exodus chapter 24. In verse 4, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So he not only spoke them, he wrote them. He wrote them down so that they would have them. In verse 5, Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So we've got the elders that were involved first and some of the leaders. And then he got some of the young men involved. We're getting young, we're getting old involved. Involved in the burnt offerings here. And in verse 6, And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So after he wrote all the law into the book, he read the book to all the people. And they also said again, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Well, I think they had an idea what was going on, right? And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And they were under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. I have no idea how to picture that. I don't know about you, but I've read that a few times. I have no idea how to picture this. I'm sure that they had a hard time writing it. How, how do you write that? How do, how do you... You've ever seen something that you just can't describe? Thank God we can take pictures now and say, well, it looks like this. But they didn't have pictures. They didn't have Polaroids or digital cameras or anything like that. So they had to describe it. And they tried to describe it the best way that they could. But look at who's here. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu... And 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. It wasn't clear. It was sapphire in color. But you could see through it. So these folks and these 70 elders, who were leaders in Israel before Moses ever got there. They were the elders. These folks saw... God, whatever way they saw God, we don't know. They saw the presence, saw the cloud. They saw something that other people didn't see. These guys saw God. Would that move you? Then Moses went up, went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the on top of the mountain, in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So these folks are in the midst of this for these days. And then Moses, at the end of the six days, on the seventh day, he goes up into the mountain with Joshua, takes Joshua with him. 
but he leaves the, the rest of the folks behind. If you go over to other passages, not only is Aaron left behind, there are two people left in, left in charge. Two people left in charge. The first one is Aaron. The second one is her. Aaron and her. Not Ben-Hur, but Aaron and her. Don't confuse it with the movie. movie. All right, so that's what went on before. This is all the things that had gone on. These elders were in the presence of God, saw God, and then were sent back. These 70 elders are leaders among the children of Israel. Verse 1, chapter 32. Moses has been up there. He's been getting stuff from God. God's been talking to him. It's been a good time for Moses. You're in the presence of God. You know you're having fun. But the people that are down on the base of the mountain don't have really a whole lot to do. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's up there on the mountain, and the people are down below the mountain. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us, and for, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened, what has become of him. Now, before you read too much into this, understand where they came from. These folks came from slavery. What happens when you are a slave? How many days off do you get a week? Probably none. How many vacation days do you get? Any benefit package? You work early and you work late. Doesn't matter what the weather is, if it's hot, if it's rainy, makes no difference. You go to work. If you don't go to work, you get beaten, your family gets beaten, so you go to work. Every single day, you got to go to work. Every day. The Egyptians don't care about a day off. I'm feeling a little tired today. Mind if I sleep in? They were under this all of their lives. No one alive during that day had ever known anything but slavery. Ever. Some of them were 20 years old. As soon as they could work, they were out there slaving away. Some of them were 30 years old. Some of them were 40 years old. Some of them were older than that. Working every single day they could work for years, for decades. And then God brings them to the mountain and they get time off. I mean, what do you have to do? Do you have to plant the field? Do you have to make bricks? Do you have to build stuff? You got nothing to do. Get up. Make breakfast, kick your feet up, talk with some of the neighbors, get to know how they are, have some lunch, talk with some other neighbors, watch the sunrise, watch the sunset, glance up at the mountain. Yep, God's still there. I mean, what do you got to do? Maybe you can uh, play some sand volleyball. That's kind of fun. Uh, I would like to do that. Maybe you can find some other games you might want to play. Maybe somebody had a Frisbee. You can go out there and throw the Frisbee. Maybe somebody had some golf clubs. You can go swing around there. You don't have to worry about the sand trap. No matter what, it's going to land in the sand trap. You're fine. You're just going out there and have some fun. All you've got to do, all you got to do, this is it. Just make your food, go to sleep. You don't have to do anything else. Eh, maybe a few chores or rather take care of the tent, but you know, how much, is, how much maintenance does a tent need? I mean, what are you going to do with a tent? 
You don't got any plumbing? Wife can't say, you know, Aaron, sink's clogged again. You don't have that problem. We haven't had time to get pets, so there's no dogs to go out there and walk. I mean, life really is not that bad. I told you before about this story, but uh, I didn't get to do this my first year of college. My second year of college, because I found out the first year of college, that all the athletes show up a week early. And we showed up a week early for uh, camp. Now, I know people have talked about football camp and cross-country camps and volleyball camps and soccer camps and all these things, and some people didn't like them. I loved it. I couldn't wait to get there. Loved it. And all we had to do, all we had to do all day long was get up, eat some breakfast, and go run. Come back, have some lunch. A little while later, go run. Come back, get some dinner, chill out for a while, go to sleep, get up early, do it again. All we had to do was run and eat. And I loved eating. And I loved running. I thought I was in heaven. I remember laying there a few times thinking, man, if heaven is anything like this, this is great. Don't got to get up for work. Don't got to clean nothing. Just get up, eat, and run. Now, some of the guys at cross-country camp, didn't feel exactly the way that I did. But I thought it was great. But here's a, here you got people with nothing to do. You can relax. You can take it easy. You've been working hard for decades. No vacation. And God says, I'm going to take you out to the mountains. Give you some vacation time. And they became dissatisfied. Can you imagine that? After only... I don't know, 25, 30 days. He was up there for 40. I don't know how long it took them until they became dissatisfied. But they became dissatisfied. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, did he say when he would be down? He did not. We read that over. He did not say when he was coming down. If someone does not tell you when they are coming, can they possibly be delayed? I mean, can they? If your boss said to you, look, I need you at work next week. And you don't come in on Monday or Tuesday, but you come in on Wednesday. He said, how come you're late? What do you mean late? You didn't tell me when I was supposed to come in. He didn't say when he's coming back. God didn't tell him when he was coming back. He's just going up to God. But the people saw that Moses delayed. How did they know he delayed? Moses didn't say when he would be back. God didn't say when he'd be back. Aaron didn't say he should be back by this time. No one said anything, but they decided he would, they would be delayed. They decided of their own selves when Moses should come back. And when he didn't come back, when they thought he should come back, they got upset. So they come over to Aaron and they said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So their motivation for making this image of a God is because we don't know what happened to Moses. Right? Is there any other motivation given? That's all they say. We don't know what happened to Moses. For all we know, he's dead. Because your imagination can start running wild with you. For all we know, he's dead. He's not here. 
It's probably dead. We should probably do something and get things going. Now, if any of you read that little mini book that I put up on, on Facebook, um, in answer to a question that we had that, that came on up, you understand this, that in order for anything to get done in this situation, there have to be leaders. Pretty much, in order for anything to get done, there has to be a leader. Just take here at the church. Here at the church, we did one thing so far all together. Besides, well, we worshiped together, didn't we? Now, we worshiped together. Whatever, what happens when we are worshiping here as a congregation and the words aren't up on the screen? What happens? We kind of stop. But it's okay if, if Phyllis and the worship team are up there and they're singing real loud and we can hear the words and we can kind of go along. What happens if the microphone's cut out and the words aren't up on the screen, but they're still worshiping? What happens with us? Most of the time we stop, right? Why? Because we don't know the song? A lot of times we know the song. After the offering's over, Jolly came up this morning. Sometimes Naz comes on up, one of them comes on up, and they lead us in a confession. How often have we done that confession? Pretty much every week. How many of you have that confession memorized? <laughs> yep. Okay, but if we came out here this week and say, let's all do the confession. And no one started it. It would be a mess, wouldn't it? I mean, one person be at one spot in the confession, another person be in another spot, and we'd, we'd be feeling self-conscious because, oh, I'm, I'm out of place, I'm out of order, and uh, you'd just hear a bunch of murmuring or mumbling or nobody would say anything at all. But as soon as one person steps up and says, I bring my ties, what happens to us? We all say, I bring my ties. All in one word, right? We're all together with it. Why? Because we've got a leader. Nothing gets done without a leader. Nothing. Nothing gets done without a leader. Even when you know what to do, you need a leader. So how does a golden calf get made? You have what? A leader. Probably leaders. We already know. We got Aaron. We got her. We got Abinadab. We got these other guys that are out here. Uh, Seventy elders. We got these guys that are out. Probably others beside that. But those are the guys that were brought before the presence of God. When Moses... Well, we'll get into that in a minute. The people needed a leader to lead them to make a golden calf. The people needed leaders to stir them up. Because there isn't, you don't get two to four million people, especially if you know Israel. This group of Israel, Israelites. Especially if you know this group. You do not get two or four million people to agree to make a golden calf. Unless leaders rise up. Why is it that people rose up when Jesus was before Pilate? And they said, crucify him. Because leaders went out through the crowd and they said, crucify him. And they got the crowd stirred up so that they would say, crucify him, crucify him. Leaders were raised up. We got leaders here in this group that raised themselves up to lead the people to make a golden calf. Very likely, they do not see that as going against the worship of God. They're simply putting the golden calves up to direct them, this is our God who led us out of Egypt. They acquaint it with the same God who brought them out of Egypt. 
put that in your outline for you. They may not be they may not be switching gods, but they are at least not but they at least want an image they can control instead of a cloud and pillar of fire they cannot. If you make a golden calf, you can pick that golden calf up and you can take it anywhere you want. But if you've got a cloud and a pillar of fire that is God, you can't control it. You can only follow it. See the problem? So Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are the, in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Now this is the first time they had gold. They were slaves. They don't have anything. They've got stuff. Maybe Aaron is thinking, if you've got to give something up, maybe you're not going to want to do it. But they gave it up. Never had gold, never had money, never had riches. Now they got some and they're willing to give it up. So all the people broke off the gold earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast day to the Lord. So they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. It sounds like they're still trying to worship God. They're just using it, doing it to the mold of calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I don't know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound good. I don't, I don't think it sounds good. Uh, and we just kind of left it at that in the, in the Bible. And the Lord said to Moses... Go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. You know, this is just like the husband and wife. Your son, when he acts like this, he's not my son, but your son. (laughs) They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Does God see this calf as an outgrowth of himself? No. They worshipped it. He's not identifying with his calf. And they sacrificed to it. They may have thought they were sacrificing to God. God says, you're sacrificing to it. And said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God said they quickly went out of the way. Not even 25, 30 days, whatever it is. I mean, it took some time to get all this stuff going on. Moses is sent down after 40. In uh, verse 17, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Now Joshua, he's in charge of the army. Most people, when you are in charge of something, you hear whatever it is you hear in light of what you are in charge of. That's just the way that it is. Joshua is a warrior. He hears sounds. He's thinking, there's war going on. Moses says, no, it's a party. It's, 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 it's not war. It's just a, people are partying. That's what they're doing. It's not good. We'd have that today. The news media looks at an event, and they say, well, this is what's going on. And you're thinking, really? Yeah. See, people want to hear different things. May not be the truth. What Joshua heard, he wasn't trying to, to uh, sway the truth. He heard it. He's thinking something's going on. Now, Joshua, to his character, we're just going to take a little side, side look here. Joshua, to his character, he's, he's on halfway up the mountain. Moses leaves him there. Moses goes the rest of the way. 
And Moses tells him, stay here until I come back. Joshua is told, stay here until I come back. He does not have the problem that the children of Israel have down below who are wondering, where is he? He hears the sound of war. He knows it's his job to lead the people in the battle. He's thinking war is going on. He's thinking my responsibility is down there. But Moses told me to stay here. He's torn. But he stays with what Moses said to do. It shows you the character of Joshua. He stayed with it. He didn't, he didn't go. Just the fact that he said, there's the sound of, of war. I know it. It's the sound of war. I should be down there. I should be helping them out. He's probably down there concerned for the people. And they're out there partying, being in sin. Verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. And I said to them, Whatever, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it in the fire and bam, out came this calf. It's amazing you should have seen it. It's just magical. We always like to tell the story in a light that makes us look better. But that's what he does. Now, it, we, we, uh, we didn't go over that, but you go back to Exodus 20 and Exodus 24, and you're going to find out that Moses left Aaron and her in charge. He charged the people. He says this, if you have anything going on, you go to Aaron, you go to her. That's what he told them. When he comes down, he doesn't deal with her at all. He only deals with Aaron. Why? Because more than likely, when they went through this rebellion, her wouldn't put up with it. And they killed him. Because you never hear of her again. After Moses addresses Aaron and her at the foot of the mountain when he goes up, you never hear the name of her again. More than likely, this crowd had gotten into such a frenzy that when her said, I will not go along with this, we will not make a golden image, they killed him. And Aaron was intimidated by that and went ahead and made the plans because he didn't want to die. He'd rather go against God than die. Because I'm sure initially Aaron put up some resistance. But when he saw that they killed her, this is supposition or you know, speculation on it, but when they saw that they killed her, he decided to go along with the, with the plan. And he did it. But Moses never addressed her, dresses her. Because he's probably dead. That's how intense it probably got down there. And Moses even says to Aaron, what did they do to you to get you to do this? Now, what was their motivation for doing this to begin with? We don't know what happened to Moses. If we knew what happened to Moses, we probably wouldn't be doing this. Isn't that the idea you get? But we don't know what happened to Moses. Moses might be dead. Hasn't come down. Well, when Moses comes down from the mountain, haven't we taken care of that? Here is Moses. So what should you do? If that was your motivation, the motivation is, we don't know what happened to Moses. If that's your motivation, when Moses shows up, how many say, man, we blew it. We missed it. All right, get rid of the golden calf. Let's get back on God's side. Wouldn't you do that? 
Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, probably because they rebelled against any restraint that was put on them and may have killed more than just her. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. One whole tribe gathered together and said, We are not with this group. We're not doing this stuff. We haven't worshipped this thing. We did not follow in what was being done. What happens here is these people do not repent of worshipping the golden calf and come over to God's side. They didn't leave it, which is why they were blessed with the priesthood. Because they didn't depart. They stayed on the side of God. So Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And all Levi came over. That means 11 tribes are on the other side. And they're standing there defiantly. Yeah. This is our golden calf. What are you going to do about it? They had probably already killed people to build this thing. They've already had a big party. And done things God is not too pleased with them for. The word of God says that they were unrestrained. All right, they had a party. They were unrestrained. If you see those two words describing a gathering of people, what do you think of? It even says that they put themselves to shame among their enemies. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to get themselves together. So they know what happened to Moses, but they don't change. Verse 27, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. About 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And Moses said, Concentrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. The estimates at this time are that Israel is somewhere between two and four million people. Between two and four million people. Let's go on the low side. Say it's two million people. If you have about two million people, somewhere around there, you're looking at somewhere around 200,000 per tribe. 200,000 per tribe. We're just saying that all the tribes are even. They're not. There are some tribes that are bigger than other tribes and so forth. We're just kind of throwing it all in there. But let's say that Levi is somewhere in the middle there, and they got somewhere around 200,000. Well, we're not really counting the kids here. We're only counting the, the adults. So let's just say, let's just cut it in half. Let's say that half are men. That's 100,000. If you put a sword, and that's just for conservative sake, let's just half it again. 100,000, let's cut it in half again. Let's say 50,000. Let's just say that there were 50,000. Understand that number could be easily 100 or 200,000. We're just going to say it was 50,000. If you put swords on 50,000 people and said, go out there and kill, and only 3,000 people died. Does that make sense? Don't you think they could have done a little better job? If their purpose was to kill as many as they could, could they not have done a better job? Absolutely, they could have. They were here when all this was going on. They resisted 
the rebellion. If they resisted the rebellion, the people who resist the rebellion faced the wrath of those who rebelled and the leaders who did. Is it not beyond reason to consider that the leaders who led the rebellion threatened or in some way tried to intimidate the Levites into coming over to the other side? That the Levites would be very in touch with who the leaders were who led this rebellion? Because nothing gets done without leaders. Is it not make sense to you that the people that the Levites would hold responsible are the ones that they would go after? And that they would kill the leaders who led the people into this rebellion? Not the innocent children, not the innocent people who weren't involved, but specifically the ones who led them? If that's true, then you can understand why the number was so low. They weren't out to try and kill anyone. They were out to try and wipe out those who would lead Israel into false worship. Does that make more sense that your God that you serve would commission the Levites to wipe out those who would lead his people astray? Only 3,000 people died. It seems low to me. That's the best explanation I can come up with meditating on it. As I did, God's going to bestow on them a blessing because they opposed their, their brothers, people, and their family. Now, in thinking about this, what are some of the similarities in the situation with Ferguson, Missouri? Well, in Ferguson, Missouri, can we not also describe Ferguson, Missouri as a place without restraint? You saw some of the videos. You heard some of the stories. Some of them were, were very moving. One of the ones I heard was the, uh, the uh, single mom had the kids and she scrimped all of her money, put it all together to get this bakery going. Well, I thought the bakery was destroyed because I saw that uh, a total of people had, had given. Last I saw, it was over $200,000 people had raised for her to build her bakery back up. But then when I saw it, I also saw that she just, the, the front windows got busted. So I'm not sure why you need $200,000 to replace the front windows. And she was pretty broke up. So I'm not sure... It would seem like you would be, if you're that broke up, it's something more than just the front windows got busted up on there. And, but anyway, I didn't get all the, the details of that. But I was moved by her story. I mean, it's like, I can't go to work now. Whatever it might be. That was a, that was a sad thing. There were other people who were giving testimonies of, uh, 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 you know, I, I used to get my car worked on here. Now I've got to go, go and drive someplace else to, to get it done so it's, it's not convenient. Uh, I don't know who owned the, the car dealership, or not car dealership, but the auto parts place that uh, fixed cars. But uh, they were done. I saw a video of the glass door being busted open where the person who was killed, who was shot by the police officers, had uh, robbed beforehand and roughed up the uh, clerk that was there. What did they do in this situation? But they were... Victim of, I saw the, the window being, the door window being broken and everybody pouring in and just taking what they want and a fire being set to, to burn it down. Many businesses were burned down in the Ferguson area because of this. Would you not call that unrestrained activity? And it's not the only place we've seen unrestrained activity. We've seen it other places. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, you know, we were down here in Willow Grove. We were growing up and uh, if you were around here then, the Flyers, the first year they won the Stanley Cup. Hatboro burned. I, I don't understand that. But people got so 
enamored and is celebrating that they went down the streets of Hapro and broke windows and burned places and, and the place burned. Does that make sense? I mean, it made no sense to me. You, you celebrate. You don't. But that's what they did. Unrestrained. Unrestrained. How many of you are glad we live in a society where there are restraints? I thank God for police officers. Because you, you have you watched the stories of the Wild West? You know who made the rules? Whoever had the gun. Right? I mean, you, you watched them. The guy with the gun comes into the saloon and everything for him is free. Right? Doesn't matter if the saloon owner can afford to have everything for them free. It's, for, it's free for them. They pull out the guns. They start shooting stuff. They don't like something that's going on. They start shooting some of the whiskey bottles that are up there on the, on the counter. Right? You've, you've watched the movies. Unrestrained. I thank God for police officers that keep restraint. That we can pretty much go wherever we're going and we don't expect bad guys to come in and start shooting the place up. I know it does happen. But it happens a whole lot less than it could happen otherwise. Thank God for that. So similarities to the situation in Ferguson, Missouri. First off, they refuse all restraints. No one in Ferguson, you're not going to restrain us. If we want to burn something, we're going to burn it. If we're going to destroy something, we're going to destroy it. Here's the second one. They refuse to hear the facts. They said the reason that they wanted to make these gods was because we don't know what happened to Moses. Well, now Moses came down. Now you know what happened to him. He's up there in the mountain getting stuff from God for you guys. But they don't care about that. Now, I was not on the grand jury. I heard some of the things the grand jury did. They published some of their findings. They published some of their things. But I know that the mobs that were in Ferguson, Missouri, did not want to hear it. The people in the media didn't want to hear it. The people in the media had already decided that the police officer, officer needed to fry. He needed to die because of what had gone on there. That was it. They didn't care what the evidence was. Well, that attitude began to pick up. And there are people in Ferguson, Missouri, who came from outside Ferguson, Missouri. A lot of them from Oakland, California. Came in and just stirred things up. You'd tell them the facts, what would happen? They'd get upset. There were witnesses who said that he had his hands up. How many of you heard that one? There were witnesses that said he had his hands up. He was surrendering because there were witnesses on there. Well, the grand jury heard those witnesses. And they also said that some of those witnesses not only perjured themselves, they also witnessed, again later on, contradictory testimony. They went through and they did the uh, forensics evidence. And they said the forensic evidence that they found did not collaborate that he had his hands up. Even though they tried to make it say that it did. The grand jury went over all of it. They said he didn't have his hands up. He wasn't surrendering. Other people came and testified. He did not try to surrender. But no one wanted to hear that. See, we shut down to the facts. We shut down to hearing what was going on. I don't want to hear the facts of the case. They refused to alter their behavior, words, or purpose. Once they saw Moses, they did not stop worshiping this golden calf. Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Only one tribe showed up. And they didn't leave the Lord's side. These folks were going to burn Ferguson, Missouri, regardless of the decision that was reached by the grand jury. There were people who said so. There were people who came out and said, this place, I won't use the language that they did, but they said, this place needs to burn. 
before any decision came. They were going to burn it. Wasn't even, for a lot of them, it wasn't even their hometown. That's a shame. But they refused to alter their behavior, words, or purpose. Here's the fourth one. They masked their true motivations. They masked their true motivations. The same thing with Israel. They said their motivation was, we don't know what happened to Moses. So we need to do this thing so we have gods that will lead us back to where we need to go. The motivations of the people in Ferguson, the leaders that were in there, was to stir up racial strife, which is, which is all that they're trying to do. How many heard the thing that this happens all the time? And yet, did you hear a second example? Was there a second example ever put out? There wasn't. There's also, like we told you this before, but uh, just up in Idaho, in the same period of time, I think a, a week away from it, there was a white youth who was unarmed who was shot by the report, this is, I'm quoting the report, by an other than white police officer. That's how they put it in there. Other than white. Should I get upset because a, a white person was, no, he was shot by a police officer. I don't care what color the police officer was. I don't care if the youth was armed or unarmed. If you are confronted with a police officer, what should you do? You don't resist. Unless you've got something to run from. I mean, we know what to do in a, in a fire. You do what? Stop, drop, and roll. When the police stop you, what do you do? Stop. Yes, sir. What do you want me to do? Put your hands up. Yes, sir. Get down on your knees. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's all you do. Whatever it is they want you to do, you do it. They got guns. Hopefully you don't have one at the time. May not work out good for you. But you just do that. You either let it all get sorted out later on. That's just, I don't care if, if a police, I've told you before, if a police officer stops me, I'm not debating, well, is he white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, Korean? Uh, I'm not sure if I want. No, I don't care what color his skin is. He's wearing a blue uniform. That's all that matters. He's got a badge. Means I listen to him. We, we submit to that. Thank God for police officers who go out every single day. White, black, Hispanic, Chinese, Korean, whatever. I thank God for every one of them who go out every day for a job they could be shot at in order to keep us safe. Thank God for that. Thank God for firefighters who run into burning buildings when people are trying to get out. Try and help people get out of that. Thank God for that. These are, these are good folks. But you see, you can present the facts and they're not going to change. So I began to ponder this kind of thing. I said, why? What is it that goes on inside? Of, why is it that we can't change? There's other examples of this too. The Pharisees heard the words of God, saw the miracles that were working, and it did not cause them to change from their stated purpose or goal. They got madder and madder. We are going to kill this Jesus. We're going to wipe him out. Why? Why? What's their motivation? Well, we stand for the integrity of the word of God and he's not honoring the law. That's not their motivation. The motivation was, you're making us look bad. That's their motivation. They can't say that though. They know that won't go over well. A lot of people who were stirring up their strife down there in Missouri... It's just not good. People didn't care about the facts anymore. 
They had that group of people from the Rams who came out with their hands up. The, the, four, the five players who came on out had their hands up. In solidarity, they said, we're supporting the, the people. No, you're not. You're supporting a lie. What you're saying happened didn't. By witnesses who were there. But you see, this, it's all about stirring up. I'll give you one more case and we're going to go, why does this happen? I wanted to know this one. Why does this happen on the inside of some people and not on the inside of the others? Anybody ever ask that question? That's what I asked about that. Or is that okay? How many saw the uh, media's rendition of the uh, police officer who had the chokehold on the, uh, the man and he died from it? You know one detail that they left out? Did not tell you about? Now, I'm not saying that the police officer was right. I don't know. I'm not involved in the, in, the, in the stuff. There are people that are there that will take a look at what happened, videos, whatever evidence they have, and if there's uh, justice that needs to be put out to the, to the guy who had the choke, it will be done. I'm totally confident of that. But they made it out to be a racial thing because I think the, uh, the guy who had the stranglehold was white and the guy who died was black. Do you know who the supervising sergeant who was right there was? Have you any idea? And any of the reports that you've seen, do you know who the supervising sergeant was who was on the scene at the time? It was a woman. And she was black. Why did, why did they leave that out? Why did they not report that when they reported all the others? Because you see, they have a motivation. They can't reveal the motivation. The motivation is to, to get people stirred up. Race against race, person against person. Their motivation is not to join people together. I heard uh, Rudy Gideon, uh, the guy from New York, Rudy Gideon, he was coming out and he's saying, he was upset. He says, I, I get upset that more people who are upset at this situation in Ferguson don't get upset that 93% of the black people who die in this country are shot by other blacks. 93, that's his, his, his uh, stat, he put it, 93%. said, so that's a whole lot more people dying. Why don't we get upset at that? Why don't we put a stop to, to that kind of stuff? Yeah. I don't know. Can you believe I'm about to say this? Charles Barkley brought in, was the, was the voice of reason in this. How often do you get to say that? <laughs> I mean, I like Charles. He was a great player here, and he's a guy who just speaks his mind. He's, he is fun to listen to. I will, I will certainly say that. But he came on out. He called them all idiots in his own way. And he, he built up the police. He says he, he, he was glad for the police that uh, we don't have uh, lawless states and all that sort of stuff. He called them all a bunch of idiots who, who believed what the media was telling them. You, if you want to have some interesting stuff, go up on YouTube or for. Google it or something. You can find the whole Charles Barkley thing. And he came on out and he said that. And then they all fired. At, they hardly ever fire at Charles. But they, uh, they fired at him. They were all coming out at him for, for saying this. So he came on out. He got even stronger. <laughs> he got even stronger. Way to go, Charles. I mean, it's nice that somebody will stand up for the police instead of just jumping on their case about the whole thing. Police make errors. Thank God that most of the people in the police force are good people. We got, you got some ones that get on in there. You know, we see them on TV. They're in the TV shows. You know, the corrupt cops are out there. Yeah, they're not. Uh, that's what sometimes we think. So here's the thing for, for today. Well, let's hit this question first. Why? 
Are some people able to be stirred up? You had 11 tribes that these leaders were able to go out and stir up to make a golden image when in just a few chapters before, Moses had sat there and told them all the laws of the law, wrote it down, read all the law to them. They had it there written while Moses was gone. And it says, among other things, thou shalt not have any graven image before me. Real clear. Don't do it. And they went ahead and did it. They stirred up everybody to do so. How did they get all these people to stir up and not Levi? What was it about Levi that they couldn't do? Why is it that the Pharisees were able to go through the crowd and get some people to stir up and to say, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus, but not everyone? What is it about some people that they can get stirred up about these kind of things? So that's my question about this. So anyway, what, what is today? What happens with today is that many people in the church, not even talking about the world, but in the church, certainly the world too, but many people cast off moral restraints. Isn't that what's going on today? If I want to marry another man and I'm a man, I should be allowed to do it. If I'm a woman and I want to marry another woman, I should be allowed to do it. You shouldn't be able to tell me. What are we doing? Casting off moral restraints. If I'm pregnant and I want to have an abortion, I should be allowed to do it. Right? Cast off moral restraints. If I'm mad and I want to break down a glass on a store and go inside and steal all the stuff and set it on fire, I should be allowed to do it. If I believe something to be true, even though evidence tells me it's not, I should be allowed to believe it. We're casting off moral restraint. Isn't that going on all around? People are casting off moral restraint. They refuse to hear the Word of God. How many folks are you going out to and you try and tell them what the Word of God says is truth and what do they say? Yeah, right. Bunch of lies. Just cast it off. They refuse to hear the Word of God. Refuse it. The third, they refuse to alter their behavior, words, or purpose. The Word of God can come out and say, don't do this. It's going to hurt you. I don't care. I'm going to do it. Because I want to. I want to do it. And fourth, they keep hidden their motivations and their intentions. They keep it. The media constantly is hiding their motivations and intentions to try and put forth this nice thing. That's why I tell you, don't bring them into your house. Don't do it. Don't bring them in. Don't say, well, I know, I know what they're about, so I'll just, you know, I'll just hear some of the stuff and I'll, I won't. Don't let it. It will sink in. It will alter you. Do not bring them into your house. Most everything we watch is on DVR. Mostly, I mean, we don't like commercials. That's, that's certainly for, I mean, you can watch an hour show in 35 minutes, cut out all the commercials. It's a wonderful thing. But I don't have to see the news clips. Because the news clips are designed to what? Get you to watch. That's it. They just want to get you to watch. Their motivations, though, they don't, they don't reveal. They keep hitting their motivations. Well, will you be one, among those who resisted or among those who go along with the crowd? How many of you want to be once those who resist? I don't want to go with the crowd. I don't want to go against these kind of things. You, you shouldn't do it. Why did some people in Israel get stirred up? It's simple. It's really a simple thing. 
They are not content. They're not content. It's people that are not content that can get stirred up. Look at the children of Israel. How many times do we see them discontent? We got no water. We got no food. It's hot. I don't like all this manna. I want something different to eat. How many times are they complaining to God because of discontentment about where they are? Oh, that we were back in Egypt. Oh, we had all the leeks and the onions we want. I don't know about you, but if I'm dreaming of food, it is not leeks and onions. I, I don't understand that. But they became discontent. You have a cloud that follows you all day. A pillar of fire all night keeps you warm. Food that just falls out of the sky for you. You don't have to have a job. Nobody's unemployed. All you got to do is go out and collect your food, make it up, follow the cloud. That's it. You don't got to do anything else. God fights your battles for you. But they became discontent. Look at this other group, the Pharisees. How many of you, if you could sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him teach, see his miracles, would be, oh man, that would be wonderful. Be with Jesus. I mean, if, if we heard right now that Jesus Christ himself was coming down to Philadelphia, to the Civic Center for one night of meetings. <laughs> one night. How many of us are there? We're going. We could not wait. Oh, can you stay longer? Please stay long. We would be content. We would like that. But the Pharisees, when Jesus came, he's coming. All right, we got to get ready. We got to stir up some stuff. We got to come up with some questions. We got to fight this guy because they are discontent. They don't have enough power. They want more power. The people don't respect them as much as they want. They want more respect. They're not getting as much money as they want. They want more money. They're discontent. The people that rebelled in Ferguson, the people who rebelled in other places, simply are discontent. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. We saw why that Israel wanted to rebel. Israel is out there in the wilderness. Who is dying? No one. Who's getting hurt? No one. Not a soul is being affected in a negative way at the mountain where they became discontent. Not a soul. But they all rose up and were ready to kill people like her and anyone else that they may have done that with. Ready to kill people who would stop them from making their golden calf. Now you go over to Ferguson. You've got people who came from out of town. I don't know how many people were in town of the, of the group that were doing the riding and how many were out of town. I know that a bunch of people came from out of town to do this thing. So you got people who came from as far as Oakland, California, made the trip. There's no super fund. You got you to gotta buy your own ticket. You got to get there on your own. Made the trip. When they got there, they had to put themselves up. That costs money. They're not working. They had to take time off their job to do this. 
And which one of those people in Ferguson or outside of Ferguson, Oklahoma, which one of those people from Oakland or wherever else that they were, which one of them died in the gun battle? Which one of them was threatened? Not a single one. There was not a single one of those people who rebelled, broke glass, went into stores, burned them, looted them. There's not a single one of those people who was affected by the crime. Whichever side you see the crime being on. Not a single one. And yet, they were willing to sacrifice their money, their time, their effort to go to a place and to stir this up. Does that make sense to you? That makes sense to me either. Because they are discontent. Discontent. They want to spread that discontent to other people. You see, you live your life content with what God has done, the blessings of God, the joy of God on the inside. And you just can't even imagine. Can't even imagine getting stirred up on something like this. Because you're content. But those who are not content can get something to stir up on the inside of them and get them to, to go off. Why did Adam and Eve fall? They were living in paradise. Life could not have been better. And what did the devil come and do? Stirred them up to be discontent with what they had. Has God really said, you will not surely die, but God knows in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. Oh, you mean I could have something more than what I've got right now? That's not right. We become discontent. We become fertile ground for this kind of thing to go on. That's where the problem comes in. It's a huge problem. Because if discontentment can get inside you like that, it can drive you away from the truth of God's word, drive you away from the presence of God, and drive you after stuff that you don't have, should not be involved with. And all the time, thinking you're doing it for a good cause. Thinking you're doing it for a right and just cause. Thinking you're standing up for something that should be stood up for. And all it was, was you swallowed the same lie that you've picked on, not you personally, but other people. Picked on Adam and Eve for. How do you stop yourself from getting this way? Four things. Not on your outline. You can write them in there if you want to. First off, be restrained. Be restrained. Let the Word of God put restraints on your life. I will not do that because the Word of God says I shouldn't do it. Be restrained. Have some restraints on your, your life. How many, when you go sit down at the, uh, the table, have some restraints put on? Well, I'm not going to eat some of that. I don't want to eat too much. You know, I already had one piece of pumpkin pie. Maybe on Thanksgiving. Well, I already had four pieces of pumpkin pie. Probably shouldn't do number, whatever it might be. You have some restraints. And we restrain ourselves to, to some. Have some restraints. They're a good thing to do. Be hearing. Be restrained and be hearing. Always be ready to hear the truth of God when he speaks it. Through his word through his voice, however it is, when God speaks, you be ready to listen. Third, be correctable. A prideful person can't be correctable. Be correctable. If God says, quit doing that, quit it. Just quit it. And third, be open. 
Don't conceal your motivations. Don't hide why it is that you're doing the things you're doing. Be open before God and be open before the people. The Pharisees were closed. They would not let people know their motivations. The people who came against Paul were closed. They wouldn't let people see their motivations. They just came in to stir up trouble. The people who stirred up trouble here, I'm firmly convinced the Levites targeted those people. And they got rid of that bad leadership. It didn't solve all their problems. But if you're going to wipe some people out, they're the ones you want to start with. Learn to be content with what you have. That's in the Word of God. Learn to be content. God has done great things for you. God will do great things for other people. But be content. After we get done service today, you know, we're going to have some praise reports. I already know a few things that are going on already, but I know that, that uh, Sue got her new car. We are all able to be content and say, glory to God, she got a new car and it's red and it looks nice. And, yeah. My wife got a new car. Not brand new, but she, she got a new. She's driving around and says, I like this car. That's good. I don't. <laughs> no, I, I told her, I said, you know, we drove one of these before. I wanted something better for her. And uh, so she, she decided that she was going to do this one. So uh, my plan was different. <laughs> but I told her, I said, get what you want. Get, and she got what she wanted, and she's happy. I'm happy that she's happy. <laughs> I can be content that she's happy with what she got. Glory to God. It's not red. The one I wanted to get, she, it was red. It was red. I took a little convincing for me to tell her to get the red one. She was finally, yeah, I like that red. She said, so she got the red. But she's happy. She's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice car. Low mileage. Holds all the stuff she wants. She's driving around. She called me up. She says, I like driving this car. It's good. It's good. She's happy. We like it when people are happy. Rejoice when people are happy. It's good. Don't be discontent. Don't spread your discontent with other people. But you see, that's what the folks in Ferguson do. And that's what happens with the church folks. We become discontent with what's going on around us. And then we begin to think, well, they're after me. They're after my group. They're after my people. They're after my friends. They're after my family. They're at whatever it might be. And we begin to become segregated and grouped. Folks, we don't need to do that. Don't need to do it. Don't, don't, God does not pull you in those kind of directions. Be content. Be content. If you see injustice going on in a situation, pray like I do. Don't, don't start fires. Not that any of you would. Not thinking anyone here. I mean, people from other churches and other states and countries and stuff like that. No one here, certainly. But if you see something going on, simply pray. This is how I always pray when that, comes, when that goes on. I say, Father God, let your light come upon that situation. And whatever darkness is on, let it be exposed. Whatever wrongs were done, bring it to justice. Let your light come upon that thing. And I don't care what color the people are. If they're guilty, then the law should come down upon them. That's all there is to it. If they're innocent, then they should go free. That's just the way that is. If you can't prove that they're, they're guilty, then they should go free. Well, I think he was guilty. I don't care what you think. 
So you become discontent. I'm discontented. Are you affected? No. But I become discontent. I think they ought to, I think they ought to be in jail. Why? Have you seen the evidence? Did you do any of the uh, examination? Did you talk to any of the people involved? No, but I just feel like, I don't care what you feel like. Christians who go along in situations like that with what they feel like are the same Christians who have no victory because they are led by their feelings and not by the word of God. And you are training yourself to be led by your feelings. I don't feel like he should get off on this. I don't feel like justice was done. I don't care what you feel like. And as long as you care what you feel like, you will walk in defeat. Because the word of God says you are to be led by his word, not by what you feel. And these same people will get out there and they're facing some sickness and disease. And I don't feel healed today. I don't feel saved today. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't care what you feel like. What does his word say? Word says he loves me. Then he does. I don't think God forgave me. Why? Because I don't feel forgiven. What's the word say? He says I'm forgiven. Then you're forgiven. I don't feel like I'm going to heaven. What's his word say? It says I'm going to heaven. But I don't feel like it. That's why you walk in victory. Or don't walk in victory. Because you go by your feelings. Stop going by your feelings. How many of you got out of bed today because you felt like it? Stop going by your feelings. Stop being trained to go by your feelings. I don't care what I feel. I care about what's, what the Word says. What does the Word of God say? That's what's important. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. To not be led by our feelings. To not be led by the things that go on around us. To not be led by what other people try and stir up on the inside of us. Discontentment they try and activate. But Father, we are moved by your word. If we see injustices going on, Jesus saw injustices going on all the time. He just kept going doing what he was called to do. What God had purpose for him to do. He just kept preaching the word and preaching the word and preaching the word and healing people. Setting people free. And doing what God said. We don't see him ever getting hung up on it. Injustices will go on around us because there are evil people who run this world. But Father, as we pray, you have the opportunity to work and you can bring evil to light, darkness to exposure. And as we confess every single week, the Word of God will expose the works of Satan in our life. Father, we believe that. That your Word will continually be a light in our life. That we can see, oh no, that's darkness. That's darkness trying to get a hold of me. I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to feel that. I'm not going to go after that. I'm not going to say those things. You know, we can be like the Levites who stood against the crowd and said, we are on the Lord's side. Oh, Father God, I want to be among those people that can say that. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go this morning, it is our communion Sunday. As our ushers are coming around and bringing the elements as you receive them, the Word of God says that we are to check up on ourselves, examine our own heart. I cannot examine the hearts of the people next to me. 
I, have no, I can't change their hearts. I can only change mine. Keep yourself right. Keep yourself in the right place. Don't let discontentment get hold of you. Don't get resentment towards other people, other groups. Don't do it. It's up to you. You can stop that from happening. But if you start to allow discontentment to come in and it flourishes and you can become a discontented person, you are fertile ground for the devil to sow any kind of rebellious activity. Because rebels come out of discontentment. How did Satan fall? Five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will arise over God. He was going to put his will over God's. He was going to dethrone God. Why? Because suddenly, with God in charge, he became discontent and thought he could make it better. The Word of God tells us about Satan, you are perfect in all your ways until iniquity was found in you. How did that iniquity get in there? He became discontent. Became discontent. Paul says, teaches us in the epistles, in all things, I find myself to be content. In all things. No matter where it is you are, no matter what it is you have or don't have, learn to be content. And you will find that the devil cannot get these things sown into you to take root. I'm sure we don't have to take a poll. There was no one here who was over in Ferguson breaking windows and setting fires. 100% positive of that. But think of how far people all have to get off to where they get upset at a situation that did not affect them, did not hurt them one way or another. And they take it out on people who had nothing to do with it. They burn down their stores. They steal their stuff. They take their livelihood because they felt something. Can you imagine doing that as a Christian? Guarantee you, folks, some of the people in that crowd were probably at church the day before. Not all of them, but I bet you some of them were. Can you imagine serving God and being able to do that with that much anger, that much strife? Shouldn't be able to do it, should you? Because we know that God should have a better work on the inside of us. Get rid of the discontentment. Don't let it take hold. Take the communion here this morning. Jesus, before supper, he took the bread and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Salvation is part, there's two parts. First part is healing. Second part is sin, dealing with the sin problem. That God brought healing to our bodies by putting on Jesus' body. All our sicknesses and disease, Isaiah told us that, that would be coming. On his body put our sickness and disease he bore it so we don't have to so we do this in remembrance that he bore our sickness in his body so we can live without that let's eat together after supper whole meal in between he took the cup he said this represents my blood we know that there is nothing you need to add to the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins nothing his blood is complete that's why the body is for something else. Because his blood is complete. It does it completely. 
We drink together. Let's remember his blood shed on the cross, poured out for us, was the only sacrifice we would ever need. For all of our sins are washed away. We wear his robe of righteousness, not our own. Let's drink together. Praise God. Well, before we go, let's have our uh, praise reports. Oh, you got the microphone. If not, hand them on to the ushers and they'll bring them on up. She says, my doctor says I still have 20-20 vision. Praise God. Are you still driving, Miss Anna? Are you still driving? Yep. Yep, praise God. Drum roll, Susan, just praising the Lord that my car arrived early. We had prayed about that, that she said it was supposed to arrive in the middle of December. She said, I want it before, and she got it before. She says, nice driving a new brand spanking new vehicle. Um, this is from Roshan. She says, in May of this year, I received a promotion, but due to some challenges, I took the job without a raise. I asked to be reviewed in six months. Two weeks ago, I spoke with the vice president of my area, and on Thursday, I was informed that my salary adjustment was made effective December 1st. Praise God. Um, because I was thankful for the transition, I took the job because God knew what I needed. I had to remember that God supplies all of our needs according to his riches in glory. I was bold in my asking and did not lose faith when it was time to ask for what I was believing in. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Um, this is from Ray. He says, I... As I meet the challenges of this next week, I praise God for his enlightenment of the scriptures um, in, in, Romans, in Romans that have been obscure to me for some time. I love how the Lord, when it's that time that's needed, he just gives you the revelation of the scriptures that you need for the moment. This one is just blessing my heart. Miss Gladys, her brother, as you know, has been suffering with cancer. But she says, my brother's cancer labs are down from a high of 130 to 15. Hmm. He's gaining weight, and he had lost 40 pounds. So he's gaining weight now. Praise God. And I'm not going to be able to read this one. Oh. <laughs> Mandy, I thank God for our pastor and his family. Miss Connie has been so helpful with my kids since, uh, since Lamar's, Lamar's deployment. Um, and her heart for the kids and generous spirit shines through in all she's done. Love her. Yeah, that was neat. <laughs> 